0: Welcome to podcast number 30 for Thanks for Your Service. Thanks for Your Service is a news and information resource and its focus is on historical topics relating to the Australian military. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter, just search for Thanks for Your Service. Our website is www.thanksforyourservice.net. There are many historic sites and buildings in cities and towns around Australia, with little-known links to our military history, we learn about one such site in Melbourne in today's podcast. Joining us on the line from Melbourne is Barbara Ainsworth, the curator from the Monash Museum of Computing History at Monash University. Barbara, many thanks for joining us today.
1: Thank you for asking me to talk about this really interesting subject.
0: As the curator of the Monash Museum of Computing History, what is the link between your role and code-breaking during World War I?
1: Well, the, the history of computing is, is very connected to um, code breaking and uh, the work of people developing machines to break coding um, that was used in uh, the wars. But so we've uh, extended our interest from digital computing, the modern general computer that we're all aware of, back into the precursors of different kinds of equipment that was used and World War I. Was more manual, but in World War II they were using electromechanical machinery. So we, we, we're interested in the connections and the, the forebears, you might say, of digital computing and how that was created through the work of these earlier mathematicians.
0: Now, in terms of your role as curator and, and the Monash Museum of Computing History, there's a link between you and, and a walking tour that you either conduct or, or you've put together. And it starts off at 460 Lonsdale Street in Melbourne. Can you take us on a, on, a, on a virtual tour or walk us through the tour?
1: Our tour actually starts at our museum at the Caulfield Campus, which is um, in, in Building B at Caulfield Campus of Monash University, uh, which is open during the week uh, when the campus is on normal circumstances. And uh, we have an exhibition there of the a range of computers, including the first computer that we had on campus at, at Monash University in which was dated to 1962. But from that point, then we take the tram, uh, and, and go to different sites around, uh, Melbourne into the city and point out significant places where computing or, um, early coding work, uh, took place in Melbourne at various buildings and sites around the city centre area as well. We run this intermittently as a, a walking tour, but uh, the website is a fully self guided tour so you can uh, take take yourself on this trip and and read all the information on the website as well.
0: There are some cast iron gates at 460 Lonsdale Street, Melbourne. Um, the original building is not there. What's there today?
1: Well, today it's a high rise office building, um, but a hundred years ago it was a a mansion uh, built by a doctor, Dr. Thomas Fitzgerald, and he named his mansion Rostella. Uh, Now, unfortunately, Rostella was his private home until the end of the 19th century. After he died, it was used as an office and became the Navy office or Navy House in. Uh, the end 1911, and then um, they moved into that house and occupied it during World War One. So the Navy used it as their main office. The Royal Australian Navy uh, had the was granted it the name Royal Australian Navy in 1911, and and it was, they then took up residence in this building, uh, and it was uh, used until it was demolished, unfortunately. So all that remains are the bluestone gates of of the original entry gate for, for this house in Lonsdale Street.
0: During World War I, it was the focus, and starting in 1914, it was the, the focus of Navy code-breaking activities.
1: Yes, well, uh, Britain declared war on August the 4th in 1914 and uh, the Australian authorities uh, knew that uh, this was, uh, it was time to act quickly and uh, perhaps uh, delay the German shipping, uh, mer- merchant ships that were moving around the area uh, and uh, perhaps get hold of something very significant. In fact, their are code books. They use the special code for the mercantile fleet and overseas cruisers. They were using the same code book um, called HVB. And the German ships in our waters, that's 1914, were using these books. And it was a unique opportunity to try and seize these books and be able to decode the um, the German fleet messages as well as uh, merchant uh, fleet activities, so they had this real small window of opportunity uh, in that the war was declared, but the ships, the German ships in our waters had no idea, so they were were still sailing around in a normal manner, and so on August the 11th um, there were some uh, books. Uh, for these code books from the German fleet were in fact um, confiscated in Fremantle. And then on August the 11th, a ship called the Hobart, uh, which was a German ship despite its name, uh, was entering Port Phillip Bay. And uh, the Navy were able to um, go onto this ship and, uh, with these people uh, not suspecting that war had been declared because they'd been jamming the radio signals. So the uh, boats. Didn't, were unaware of what had happened since they were at sea and they came into Port Phillip Bay and they uh, were boarded by Navy staff although they they then um, did a thorough search of the ship and they couldn't find the code book and key to the code which were two separate books um, and, and it's like a boy's own story. The Captain uh, Richardson stayed on board that night and he Pretended to be asleep, apparently this is, it, it really gets quite elaborate this story, but he pretended to be asleep in the captain 's cabin, and in the middle of the night in the early hours of the morning, someone crept in and they were trying to get retrieved the code book and the key from behind a sliding panel secretly hidden in, in the captain 's cabin. But up jumped Captain Richardson and turned on the light and seized the code code book. And this was, in fact, a major, major coup for the Navy to get this book because it opened up um, access to the uh, German fleet um, uh, communications in the Pacific for them to understand what was happening with the German ships. So they had this book, uh, the code book and the key, and they uh, then proceeded to make multiple copies of it so that everyone would be able to um, have a record of this. Uh, code and the key. And a lot of this work was then supervised by Dr. Frederick William Wheatley, who was at that time a, an instructor at the Royal Australian Naval College, which um, before it moved to Jarvis Bay was temporarily located at Osborne House in Geelong. So Dr. Wheatley went on to um, look at the codes and start translating messages that they were then intercepting the, with the radio messages moving around the Pacific, they could intercept. And uh, note what these messages were, and since they had the code book and the key unknown to the Germans, um, they were able to translate some of these messages very quickly. Um, Whitley's an interesting man; he was an academic, but he spoke german and, and he was a maths and physics teacher at uh, um, the Royal Australian Naval College at that point, but his his command of German meant that he was able to um, work with these code books and start decoding messages that were coming around. Mm. And and interestingly, the British did not have this code at all at that point and they did have intercepted messages and were sending them to Melbourne to be decoded here. So at one point, Melbourne was the centre of World War One decoding, but only for a week or so. In
0: terms of being the centre, was, was Navy House in Lonsdale Street, was that the focus of code-breaking activities during World War I for the Royal Australian Navy? For
1: for the first few months of the war, that's where the code work was being done. And um, in fact, um, they, of course, the Germans did change the key, but they they had not realised that the actual the um, format of the code was understood, so uh, Wheatley was able to keep breaking. did uh, break the code uh, key again after that, and but for for the first few months of 1914, after the war was declared, messages were coming through there, and the um, so they were sent to the post office, and then somebody would take them down to Navy House, and they would then decode them, and they sent. Um, copies of the code books to England um, at that point and uh, the, the English uh, coding room uh, was set up in room 40 um, a few months later and they then took over most of the decode work. But the thing was that the um, Australian decoding had had uh, um, detected the communications with the German fleet and their, their reports that were coming and they were able to advise where the German fleet under Admiral von Spee, was going. And he uh, moved the fleet to the Falkland Islands, where the uh, British fleet were waiting for them. But it was the information from these decoded messages that really helped um, understand the movements of the German fleet, which were destroyed on December 1914. The Pacific fleet uh, was destroyed in 1914 at the Falkland Islands. And... um, and that removed the threat of the German fleet from the Pacific and and the decoding activities for the Royal Australian Navy were then sort of wound down and the work diminished and Dr Weakley finished. So for a few months, it was a very busy and important spot in the world for decoding.
0: And Navy House was a magnificent building, Rostello, and we'll put links up to photos of the house on our Facebook page, etc. Yes. And
1: Yeah, uh, well, uh, it was... Uh, a gracious mansion for someone, a, a famous doctor, to live in. <laughs> so,
0: Unfortunately, all that remains today is this bluestone pillars and gates of the old Navy House on Lonsdale Street.
1: Yes, and the name of Rostella is written on the pillars, but um, it, there's nothing to tell you just what an important place it was in those terms of, of wartime work. Hmm.
0: And in terms not just World War I, but World War II and, and significance at a sort of military or previous. Uh, sites with um, some military uh, historic links in Melbourne. Um, mm. you, you also yes. talked about Monterey Flats, for example. What, what's the story behind uh, behind the flats?
1: Well, uh, in World War II, there was a whole new need for decode work and uh, the uh, various uh, groups in, in Australia, there was the, the Australian uh, code-breaking groups, and um, also, initially, uh, they set up work uh, in St Kilda Barracks and then they moved their um, decoding units to Monterey, which is an, an apartment block in Queen's Road, Melbourne, which is still there. Um, it's a 1940s block of a flat that was then converted into this very important decoding headquarters. The various people arrived... Um, during the war from uh, across the Pacific as the you know, the, the various forces were, were, were being pushed south by the Japanese army in the 1940s. So um, the American cryptography units that were operating in the Philippines were relocated in 1942 to Melbourne and they, were, they created a group called RUMEL, which was Fleet Radio Unit Melbourne. Which um, joins another group that was an Australian group called the special Intelligence, Intelligence Bureau, and they were in Queens Road, which um, they were doing decode work for uh, across Asia. They were intercepting messages and I, I'm, you know, I'm interested in that because they began to use uh, electromechanical machinery just to start doing this decode work um, the American Group came with IBM punch card machines, and uh, they were able to set them up. And they had a, a garage apparently full of uh, equipment for running punch cards. You know where um, the, with the cards were entered in with details, and they tried to decode the Japanese messages. And they were probably about uh, by the time 1944, they moved to the Albert Park Barracks, which was a very expensive army. Um, Encampment in the Albert Park area and that on the near the lake, and there were probably 50 Australians and 15 American personnel decoding, working 24 hours a day at the barracks.
0: And of course, those barracks are no longer standing as well, another part of history gone.
1: It uh, is another part of history gone. The, um, the barracks, the army took over quite an extensive area at the Albert Park and they paid, they paid rent to the council uh, for use of that land but of course now it's the venue for the Melbourne Grand Prix and uh, uh, everything, most of the military uh, buildings were removed um, in the 70s it was cleared and uh, gradually they just reduced their use of the area and um, now there's nothing to signify with a very extensive set of um, buildings uh, that was set up and they, the um, uh, the decoding unit was there, but also a lot of other army officers and pay, pay um, sections and things like that were there as well.
0: So people can see Monterey Flats as they're still standing. Another place that's still there today is Victoria Barracks and St Kilda Road and uh, Victoria Barracks housed the Defence Signals Directorate before they moved uh, to Canberra. Um, but also I think F- uh, Frumel was also there for a little while as well before they moved to Monterey Flats. Is that right? Uh,
1: well, yeah, because they all, they all came down. Um, they had to be relocated into Melbourne and uh, then this reorganisation move of, of the different... combining the different intelligence groups, um, they wanted to put them together. So they will put them into Monterey.
0: And Barbara, where can people go to learn more about the Monash Museum of Computing History and the walking tour? Uh,
1: yes, uh, we have our website. The, um, the museum is open, not not currently at the moment, but during normal uh, university operation times, it's open during the week. And you can see it in the, the uh, Building B at Caulfield Campus. Uh, and the, the walking tour website will, will give you a pretty good indication of, of different sites. Uh, it's a fairly extensive list. Sometimes um, it might be more than other, some people want to do all in one day. You can just select a few from it and of course you can always go to Science Works and have a look at the uh, computer Syrac, which was um, the first computer built in Australia and probably the fourth or fifth built in the world and that's also on display in Melbourne.
0: That's the podcast for today. You can find the relevant links to this podcast on our Facebook page. One of the ways to promote this podcast is through your feedback. If you're listening to us via iTunes, please leave a review. You can also support us via Patreon. Your gracious support helps us with costs such as hosting and production of this podcast. Even as little as $1 can help. The link is www.patreon.com forward slash Thanks for your service. Thanks for listening.